And I said, yeah, 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 that's, that's because I'm a documentary filmmaker. My job isn't to make you comfortable, you know, it's to make you uncomfortable so you can think critically about this and we might be able to create change. Hey everyone, and welcome to Good Is In The Details. I'm your host, Gwendolyn Dalski, and co-hosting with me today, once again, LA lawyer, transit whisperer, Rudy Salo. We sat down and chat with, well, we Zoomed. Everything is Zooming now. I digress. We chat with filmmaker, philosopher, author, Tom Keith. Now, Tom has been part of the show before for episode 19 on gender roles and toxic masculinity. This time, he is talking about his latest project, a film called Bullied. It is a deep dive into the psychological, sociological, and political factors underscoring what is bully culture. He talks about why it matters or what causes it, what is the essence, why we should care, and also what are some solutions and what are the ramifications if we do nothing. It's an important film. Rudy and I really enjoyed it. We enjoyed talking about it. I do want to let you know that there is some sensitive content in here because there is a discussion about self-harm and suicide. Just keep that in mind as you listen to the episode. And just a reminder, if you haven't yet, please rate and review the show. And if you have any questions about this episode or you want to get in touch, you want to talk about previous episodes, future episodes, hey, you know what? Whatever's on your mind. Good is in the details pod at gmail.com. And here's the interview. Okay, Rudy, do you have your notes? I have a lot of notes. Yes, I do. <laughs> now, Rudy and I decided not to talk about your film with each other so that we could we would probably gravitate to different things. Rudy has actually spoken before in a previous episode about having been teased. Yeah, when you were younger. Yeah, I mean, there were plenty well, of- Well, you'd say bullied. I should, I should, I'm sorry, wait, wait. Is there a definition or like even a legal definition of bullied or what is the difference between bullied and teased? Because I just use the word teased, but that's not, I think, what you experienced. So we should probably start out with a definition. Personally, I don't know what the legal definition is between- teased or bullied. I mean, I could only imagine that there's got to be some kind of, you know, if somebody's just saying a word to you, but they're not making any kind of physical movement towards you, then there isn't legally any assault. That's just somebody in- insulting you. If somebody makes a physical move towards you, that's assault. If they actually put their hands on you, that's battery. That's the legal definitions of those particular crimes. So I would, uh, bullied is probably some kind of combination of assault and battery when somebody puts their hands on you, no matter what age they are. I mean, yeah, I mean, when I, I, or I am- yeah, well, yeah, threats as well. Uh, it's got to be. There's got to be a little bit of a. I mean, somewhat of an act in addition to that to make it rise up to at least assault. But yeah, th- you know, threatening words could possibly trigger a crime. None immediately come to mind. I mean, I could just say I'm sure all of us have grown up in our lives with people have be, having said mean things to us and hurt our feelings. But yeah, you know, what I kind of um, connected to in the movie Bullied, which is excellent, both as a father of young kids and as somebody who, you know, grew up kind of the minority stress. That really was the best way to describe the way I felt kind of growing up as being an Arab American in the 1980s and the 1990s. And even right after 9-11, there was this pervasive feeling of being the other, being feared, just people saying just awful things to to me, to about my you know parents, uh, about the food that we would bring, that I would, the food I would bring to uh, to school. I mean, who would have known that the explosion of of hummus and pita bread would have taken over the culinary world? I mean, my family could be billionaires if I hadn't been made fun of for eating that food as a, as a child. You know, I, I think about that type of stuff. But you know, it, it's just uh, I really related to the minority stress uh, aspect of the film a lot. I didn't get physically attacked very much as a child. I think that's probably because of my height. I've always been taller than most kids. There is that difference. I mean, I, I got a lot of the you know being made fun of for the way I looked because I had um, a very large ethnic nose growing up and where my family was from. So I know what it was like to be bullied and to be teased. And to be perfectly honest with you, that probably resulted in me being mean to other kids as well. I hate to admit it, but I have to admit it. I'd be a liar if I, if I sit here and said, no, I was always kind and I was always nice to other kids and I never said anything mean and I was the perfect child. That, that would mean I'm a bullshitter. I mean, people who get teased, people who deal with um, that kind of stress 
uh, growing up, wind up doing mean things to others as well. And I think the film touched upon that as well. I, I, right, yeah. Tom? I mean, I'm sure from your study, you must have found that, you know, what's, what's the root causes of this bullying? So well, can we get into the difference, the distinction between teasing and bullying for you, Tom, and then... I don't know that there is a, a dictionary definition or certainly not a legal definition of distinction. I think teasing can actually be uh, a phrase that'll be used between friends sometimes where they're teasing one another or they're being kind of sarcastic with one another with the understanding that, you know, they're just playing around and they're not meant to be seen, not meant to be taken seriously. Bullying is something different than that. Bullying has as its goal to hurt, to harm someone else. Uh, as one of the scholars in the film says, bullying is done in a group. It's done for an audience. It's rarely one-on-one. I mean, it, it happens, but it's rare. There's usually people around, and that's part of it. You know, it, it's a performance so that they get validation from the people around them. You know, where it starts, and in fact, Rudy, you hit upon something that I didn't bring into the film, but a lot of experts talked about, that there are three kinds of figures we should be talking about. There's the pure victim, and this is someone who doesn't themselves bully anybody, but are victimized by bullies. Then there are what are called the pure bullies, and they aren't victimized. They simply engage in bullying with others. And then there was the bully victim. In fact, I didn't know this, so I learned it, that this there's a, that's a large group of people, first of all. They are bullied in one context, maybe at home, big brothers, big sisters, whatever. And cousins. cousins. My cousins were so mean. <laughs> well, what is a surprising consequence that I didn't know of that particular group is that's the highest group for suicide, the highest group, by a lot. And so I thought, wow, that's, that's interesting. And... You know, psychologists are trying to understand this, that kids are internalizing some pain, obviously, and what they're doing to deal with their pain is victimizing others, is somehow reclaiming their, you know, validation, they're they're being validated, but in reality, they're hurting. It's a lot of pain. And so self-harm, it's the highest group of self-harm, and it's the highest group of completed suicide as well. Were you setting out your film to discuss suicide or bullying and then found out that they were connected or, or did you always want to connect those two things? This film came about when I was making an entirely different film. I didn't set out to make a film about bullying at all. I was making a film on, the, on othering, if you know what I'm saying, the, the othering people, which really you just spoke to, right? And so I'm sitting down with my colleagues because I have two other producers that are working with me on that particular film. That's the one with Danny Glover and some other people. So we had high hopes for it, but I thought, you know, we need to talk to people who have been othered, who have been othered and maybe this has caused them self-harm and things like that. I started doing some research. I came across a group in Oklahoma City called Stand for the Silent. And what they are is a group of parents and other family members all around the world who have lost someone to suicide as a result of bullying. And so I reported back to my team and I said, you know, I think talking to some of these people may be really powerful. So I went to Oklahoma City. I sat down with the president of that organization who lost his son when his son was 12 years old to suicide. It was the most intense interview I've ever had in my life. And afterwards, my camera man and I were at the bar because uh, it was just jarring. And I said to him, this can't be a small segment in our film. This needs to be its own film. And that's the moment where I realized I had to make this film. The first 15 minutes are really tough to watch. Yeah. I was immediately thinking homeschooling. <laughs> like I'm thinking about my daughter, Rudy, you're thinking the same thing. I, I was just, I, I text Rudy, like I said, we didn't want to talk about the film ahead of time. But I texted him, I said, just a warning, I'm starting to tear up and I'm only 13 minutes in. How did you get all of this video footage, this raw footage? How does that even work? Because all I can think about is this is footage of kids beating up on each other. It's at school. How does that even happen? Where are the teachers? How is it that there's a camera present, but there's no one present to stop it? Mainly that cell phone footage. These are kids filming another. You can even see it in that bus scene where the fight breaks out and all these kids start holding up their phones. It's like a entertainment or some spectacle to them that they want to capture and then post on their social media. It becomes something that's funny to them. 
Tom, on that point, yeah, it's on their cell phones and they're recording this. As an attorney, I'm like, great, evidence. Like, there you go. You see that kid hitting that kid. You can come down on them. You can prosecute them. You can do stuff. Did that not happen? Or, you know, I'm just curious, but what, what did you find that there was some of the results of that footage that was put out there? Were, were there some prosecutions or anything at all? Much of this doesn't get placed on social media or the internet. These kids are holding on to these things. I should make it clear that a lot of the kids that are being bullied, it's not a physical sense. It's being, they're being cyber bullied in many cases so that the images that they have could be embarrassing. Let's say it's, it's a teenage girl and she took her top off for some guy and now he's putting it on social media and to all her friends and all of that. And it becomes this scandalous thing at school and then she begins to self-harm as a result. So a lot of this isn't physical. I put those pieces on because that is the traditional way we think of bullying is a physical confrontation with someone. And um, that was just stuff I pulled, by the way, from YouTube and, and other social si uh, media sites. And through fair use, I can use all that stuff. But right after that, I get into cyberbullying because the, the next girl was um, Carol Todd's daughter, Amanda. And her story became an international story of uh, a grown man from Europe uh, had gotten her to take her top off on camera and then extorted her. Uh, and said, you know, this is going to go out to all of your friends and, and classmates and all of that. If you don't continue doing this or, or get me some money or something like that. And he is in prison right now. Thank God. Prison. So there are anti-bullying laws in all 50 states. This can be prosecuted. But I can tell you what happens in the majority of cases is that families are taking action themselves through civil court. Yep. They're, they're, so, they're suing schools, administrators, sometimes individuals who they felt uh, neglected their duties. You know, so they may have been complaining to the school for months. You know, I, I've been coming here because my daughter's getting bullied and she says nothing's happening. And this goes on for months and months. It escalates. And then we have a tragedy. And then there's a, a, a lawsuit. That's that, in fact, most of the people you see in that film are in the middle of lawsuits. This idea of the connection between the school year and the bullying. Yeah. So as you said, this is a, it's a performance, it's a theater, it's to gain credibility, hierarchy, that it's seasonal. I mean, I think that that, I had a good school experience. So that, that kind of killed me to think of the, the seasonal aspect of this that it really is a responsibility of the schools to be stepping in. Yeah, Phew. this is a tough one. I'm an educator. My sister, you know, taught high school throughout her career. And, you know, I, I don't think teachers or administrators want this to go on. Bullying happens when kids feel they can get away with it. They're not going to be doing this in the classroom very often. They're finding these alone spaces, you know, outside of the classroom, on a bus, in the locker room, something like that, where they realize there's no one there to, to witness what's going on except for their friends. Um, so I do think they're trying. They're trying. But the problem with the American school system is they have taken to this this zero tolerance policies that I talk about that have been completely ineffective. Yeah, I'd love for you to touch upon that too, because it was touched upon in the last 15 minutes of the film about the failure, zero tolerance failures, um, you know, the school to prison pipeline. Can you give like a, just a, not a dictionary definition, but just, you know, what zero tolerance actually means? Sure. And, you know, I mean, I, I see the connection between, hey, you know, if some kid pipes up and because of zero tolerance, they're automatically kicked out of the out of a school. Either they go to continuation high school, they wind up in prison or in a gang or something. So That's there's right. got to be something in between. But just uh, maybe I just need a better understanding of what zero tolerance actually is. No, that's exactly right. Um, even borderline, some schools have become sort of hyper paranoid about this. And so even borderline cases of bullying could get a kid kicked out of school and they will end up in continuing school, like you said, or they'll just start ditching and join a gang. Like, and that's why it becomes a, a school to prison pipeline, obviously, but it hasn't diminished the rates of bullying. Even more importantly, I mean, the goal of this is to reduce and mitigate bullying and it hasn't. That's the point. Whereas the school districts like the Cleveland district that I uh, spotlight in the film, 
uh, they went to social and emotional learning. Now, it takes a while to inculcate this over periods of time, but they've had a, a drop, what was it, over one-third of bullying cases have dropped since they've tried this. And schools around the country know about this. This isn't some secret. They all know about it. But educators say things like, well, we don't have the time for that. We have to make sure our math scores come up and our reading comprehension scores come up. And if we're going to have to take classroom time for that, now we have to worry about this other thing. Well, what they're missing in this equation is when there's less bullying, kids don't ditch as much. They feel safer at school. And guess what? Their grades start going up. The graduation rates going. They all go together which should make perfect sense if you think about it intuitively. This makes a lot of sense that the kids feel safe, they like being at school, they're going to put out a better effort and they're going to get better grades. So if America, because they're already doing this all over Europe and Canada. This isn't new to them. They've been doing It's America that has been holding back like we do in many other things. I'm so glad you brought that up. I had to, that was one of the questions that I had for you is I am sure with, you know, your research, everything that you've done, your meticulous, all everything, I got to know how much better is the bullying situation throughout the world versus the United States? Is it a United States? I mean, you know, kids are kids and parents are parents and what, you know, Americans, while we are different than, than the rest of the world, we have our, you know, individual focus on the individual and we just our own culture and everything and our dependence upon entertainment and social media and everything. But from, from your studying of this super important topic, how much better off is the world in dealing with bullying and what can we learn from that? You know, my, my studies are mainly in Europe and Canada, so I can't too much generalize to other parts of the world. But uh, we definitely have higher bullying rates than them. We also have higher school shooting rates, which unsurprisingly kind of go together. Uh, some of these kids who have been bullied, you know, they, they start thinking, how can I lash out? How, how can I regain my sense of, you know, of, of personhood? And they become violent. So, and, and, but that's almost all boys, you notice. Almost all boys. Only one girl in the history of America was a school shooter in the entire history. All the rest have been boys. And so it's sort of a validation of their masculinity and manhood that some of them will lash out, whereas a lot of girls will begin to take their pain and the violence will go inward. So to answer your question, yes, we have a much bigger problem with bullying and school shootings than Europe or Canada. It's Everyone knows this. This isn't, again, none of this is secret. The, the school districts know it and they will still fight. And, and try to retain these old-fashioned ways of teaching kids that don't work and that keep our bullying rates high. It's a political thing as well. I just, I can't, I can't ignore the fact that this is a political thing. When you go to the red states, they're the ones that are very law and order, put them out of school, put them in detention, put them in jail. This is their mindset. And so they see social-emotional learning as these squishy little, you know, California, New York, liberal ideas and that's part of what you know keeps them from instituting these ideas even though they work they work we have longitudinal empirical evidence that this works and they still don't do it i was wondering if there was some pushback as soon as i saw that in the film this discussion about emotional learning and i thought oh man there are going to people going to say you're not going to have my son learning that stuff I think there's a bigger question here about what is the function of education, which you touched on a bit. Like, is it just, you know, the reading and writing and the science, but really the philosophy of education, what is it? Is it just to, if we want to make good citizens, right? Isn't that part of the function of what is the purpose of education? If you step back and say, this is the goal of education and are we actually producing that? And if it's part to replenish society and, also make good citizens. And it seems like you could make the case that this is an essential part of what education is, that to just relegate it to the academics is problematic because that's not what makes a citizen good for a country. I mean, that was the point that Ron Aviaster made from UCLA. That was a lovely moment where he goes through, I think the reason for education is not just to teach reading and math, but also to create good citizens. You know, yeah. if we're to be a society, we have to learn to, to cooperate together, to work together. And so that's also got to be part of the schools. There's your pushback again. When you hear 
this becomes political. It really shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be political, but it has become political, where you'll have conservative voices say, I don't want values taught in the school. That's what, that's what parents do. That's for our churches and parents. You know, keep that out of the schools. Just keep it very, you know, much centered around, you know, math and reading and all of that. So you get these political fights. And, um, yeah, I agree completely. It should be a part about making good human beings, not just getting them this skill, this craft that, okay, now they know how to do algebra that they'll never do again the rest of their lives. But they haven't learned and inculcated and internalized ideas of compassion and kindness and cooperation. I don't know why that's controversial, but it's thought to be a, a kind of progressive, squishy, liberal idea. That's how polarized our country is, that compassion is political. Mm-hmm. Is there any... Um, in any of your research, or yeah, you mentioned there are 50... There are anti-bullying laws in, in all 50 states. All 50 states yeah. um, just curious, have you come across anything where liability of parents comes into play? Meaning like, has there been any push to say, okay, look, you know, we really need to put the parents' feet to the fire to raise children with some compassion. And the only way that you're ever going to, you know, make people do things is usually by hitting them in the wallet, i.e., hey, you you could be subject to a lawsuit. You could be brought in uh, liability-wise. Are there any laws out there like that or in any of these lawsuits to do the parents of the victimized child go after the parents of the bullied, the bully's parents and be like, well, you paid for you, uh, clearly you paid for the uh, the internet capabilities or the phone capabilities of your child and your child was using that in order to bully cyber bully my kid and my kid hurt himself or something have you seen anything like that that's out there are there any laws that that put the you know parents on the line if you will i, I think that it's civil again and not criminal I, it has happened i don't believe it's been successful Again, my research there, maybe it has, and I just don't know about it. But one thing I learned from talking to these parents that lost a child, there's two things that hit you immediately within the first five minutes of talking to them. Of course, a profound uh, sadness that it can't be compared to anything. But right under the surface of this sadness is rage, absolute anger. They are angry that the system let them down, whether it's the schools or maybe some parents, you know, that had trained their kids and, and encouraged their kids to be bullies. And, and so they have anger. And almost all of them, well, I'll just say all of them, they need very serious counseling. But they have tried to sue other parents as well as individual uh, school administrators or a teacher or a coach or something and largely unsuccessful. Very difficult to prove that there's, you can connect those dots. Not in a causal way, it would be a correlational way, but even that, it's, 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 it's a tough proof. Yeah, it, it would be a, an extremely tough proof. The only way they would be able to do it is if there was a statute in place that uh, kind of made it clearer that parents could have some liability. And I, I guess I just, you know, probably don't see legislatures going down that road. No. You, you touched upon this in your film and you just said something right now. You mentioned coaches. And a good portion of the film, you show some coaches literally just losing their their minds out there. And I do wonder, you know, a lot of them, let's be honest, a lot of those coaches are parents themselves. I mean, you, I mean, you know, some parents really get into the coaching thing. I do wonder if, you know, in sports, it's hard to be... It's hard to be compassionate because it's so competitive. But I do wonder if it's the way that we approach sports with kids at a younger age and, you know, the dominance of it and the aggressiveness that goes into sports and team sports. And you can get so emotional about it. I do wonder about the long-term impacts of, you know, that on a child. Uh, I'm, obviously, I'm not anti-sports just because I wasn't in, wasn't an athlete and have like zero athletic skills doesn't mean that, you know, I'm, I, I think all sports should be banned. But you, you had some very good footage in the film. And I've often seen some bullies be, be perfectly honest with you, to be the best athletes at schools. I've just, I've seen it. Did you find any of that in your research about, you know, sometimes the, the, the way that we push forth athletics, the way that we push forth, you know, you must win at all costs and, and some of our very aggressive type sports like football ball and everything has a, you know, an impact on somebody becoming a bully or being bullied? You know, I've written about this in my former book and and several articles, but just to back up a little bit, kids are learning to bully. 
it's not hitting their heads when they're six years old. Maybe I'll start, you know, it, they're getting this from the adults around them they look up to. There are influences in their lives that are validating these behaviors. Coaches are one. As someone who played Division I sports, I played baseball for Long Beach State, and my coaches were like surrogate fathers to me. I looked up to them. Were they homophobic and sexist? Yes, constantly. Did they say really regressive things? Yes. Did we imitate them? Yes. So there's a chain of command here. Kids are picking this up from, you know, mom and dad. I mean, there's a moment in the film, uh, and I, I'm not narrating, it just comes on the film, where the University of Virginia and the University of Michigan did a joint study on the districts that voted for Trump versus the ones that voted for Clinton in, in that industrial north area. A 30% rise in bullying incidences in, only in the uh, regions that voted for Trump. You don't see it in Clinton. So you have people like mom and dad are sitting there, yeah, fuck this, and they're, they're pretending they're, they're Trump, and they're taking this. There's the kids soaking this stuff up. They think, well, this is how you behave. This is how you get what you want. This is how you get power. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, for sure, you know, I'm not singling out coaches as being, you know, the most evil, it's it's parents, it's adults, it's older cousins, let's be honest. I mean, you know, especially you come from a family like mine, uh, where you have tons and tons of cousins, and, you know, one cousin bullies another cousin, another cousin bullies the other cousin, and it's just kind of this chain of command, and it just kind of happens. Um, And and also the the ingredient of reality television and all that that I bring in, these layers of influence you know, we just have show after show after show where people are acting about as horribly as they possibly can. And this is what makes good ratings and good TV, apparently. And this is being fed mainly to young people. So they're seeing, you know, women going at it, and men going at it. And this normalizes these behaviors is this is how you get what you want. You've got to bully other people. I mean, part of what makes Trump successful with his base is that he's a bully, you understand. It's, we, we will point that out and say, this guy's a bully. And they'll go, that's right. That's why I like him. He tells so, it like it is. Yeah, right? he tells it like it is. You know, he's, he doesn't hold anything back. He's not politically correct. So he can say, and this is what they like about him. When, when the kids are sitting around, they're hearing this validation. What else are they going to think? This is what you say. You use vulgar language and slurs to put people down. It's all part of, of normalizing, you know, really dysfunctional behavior. The ju- juxtaposition in the film where you have Melania talking about bullying. I mean, yeah. she's, and she's, you know, she's, she, it, it, it's interesting because she's got a very heavy accent and she, you know, what she says is it, it's great. I mean, she's saying great things about it. And then you just back it all up with, oh, with what her husband, i.e. our president of the United States does and says is absolutely terrible. And, and this is one of the reasons why I'm worried about my own children because you're absolutely right. There are plenty of people that what they love about Trump is that he's a bully and he says it like it is. And that's important to them because I think that's the way they were raised and that's the way they're raising their kids. So we're talking about generation. This is a generational thing. This is not gonna get fixed overnight. I don't even know if it could ever get fixed, but things have definitely gotten worse since 2016. And when you have that person on TV, on news conferences, and that is behavior that, wow, wow, that guy became the president of the United States. Oh, you got to be a bully in order to win in this country. It's just, I don't have much hope. Do you, Tom? Well, that's the exact point that Charles Durkner made at Boston College. He wrote a book called Bully Nation. And in it, he talks about how, you know, we we've been taught now to look up to bullies, that they get things done, that they're winners, that they uh, are powerful, whether in business, politics, you name it. And and so to to turn all that around is like a paradigm shift, right? It's going to have to take this notion, well, wait a minute, you can have great success through cooperation. In fact, we wouldn't have the civilization we have around the world without great uh, cooperation. So, you know, bullying your way to victory is going to work for some people. I don't think it's going to go away. I speak all over the country. And when I'm in some really deep red states, they start coming at me over this very topic. Like, you know, you come from California, you you know, you don't know how to get things done. All you're, you're always whining about this and that. It's what they hear. And again, I think for us to have some healing and some closure about what we're talking about, we're going to have to have some healing for our entire nation. It's not coming yet. It hopefully, we'll start in November. But we have to heal as a nation before we can start putting before everyone, look, nobody wants their kids hurt. 
No, no one. No one wants their kids hurt or going to jail or bad things happening to them, right? So what can we, how can we use our, our resources, our, our studies, our research to instill programs that work, that have empirical results that work, so that we're not any more bickering about red and blue and all that, because everybody wants their kids to be cool. Everywhere I go, you know, people would be yelling at me because I, I took on Trump, and I'd say, look, forget Trump. Let's just talk about your kids right now. You want them to be safe. You want them to be healthy. And now I have them with me on the, on the journey, right? And I'd say, so we've got to get bullying out of the schools. And one of the things we have to do is change the way adults are talking when they're in front of the kids. Because yeah. they're teachers, whether they understand it or not, they're teaching and they're role models. One thing I liked about your film was the fact that you had a diverse array of, of victims. You know, you had white victims, you had Asian victims, you had African-American victims, you know, call me the Arab-American victim. But it, it was great because you're basically showing this problem transcends color. It transcends a lot of things. And I think that's vitally important because once it becomes a, a red versus blue state problem or a white versus African-American problem or a, you know, white versus, you know, other minority problem, then forget about it. I think it's, I think it's huge to point out the fact that no, no, white people are, white people's children are victims in this as well. I mean, number one, that they still happen to be the majority in a lot of places. So taking, Put, taking away the whole red state, blue state thing is the first step in trying to get us to heal and focus on our children. I, I think that's a great point. And I think you did an excellent job of that in the film, whether you, whether you did it on purpose or not, it was it really, I really like that about it. No, I always do that. Everything I do has to be multicultural and diverse. I, I'm trying to always instill an idea that we're all in this together. And somehow we have to figure out how to get away around our, our problems, whether they're political or what, so we can solve some problems that we all share. And bullying is something that, you know, that one kid that's, that's in the car with his mom, if you remember that, and he's like just distraught, and that was in Tennessee. And all of that, I mean, I, I was there, um, and it, it's, it's Trump city. You can't get away from, you know, and you're told, don't say anything negative about Trump when you're at the restaurant. Just don't say anything because it'll cause trouble. That's the environment you're in. But all of those people during that filming, they're all Trump fans, and they were right there with me. No one's, you know, saying, oh, what's this film about? This sounds, they were all there with me. Yeah, we got we to solve this bullying problem. The reddest of red, and here they want to yeah. solve the bullying problem because it's about their kids. Nobody wants their kids victimized, nor do they want their kids really to be victims. I mean, you know, right? I mean, I'm sorry, to be bullies. Right. So they're trying to say, what do we do? And I say the first thing we do, since you're using the word we as adults, is we model differently. We have to model our behaviors differently, cognizant of the kids around us. Because if you're going to continue the behaviors, you know, the bullying type behaviors, why would you think that your kid wouldn't? What, what would you make you, you know, think that they're suddenly going to have more wisdom than you and, and be less violent than you? You're the ones teaching them, not the other way around. Yeah, I was thinking that this this discussion about bully culture and where that chain would go from Trump to then bullying in the schools and I was just imagining, you know, it's not it's not the direct, it's the parents in between that were forgetting about that. So the idea would probably be he's saying something on TV, something about like nobody who's you know, anyone who's from a Muslim country can't come in or everyone from Mexico is a rapist. And then you have the dinner conversation of the parents maybe who agree and are saying yes about this and that person or women, you know, the whole grab them by the pussy thing, like, oh, that's not really a big deal. That's locker room talk. And then the child is hearing that and then taking that to school and then picking on whoever is of that group. You know, Absolutely. saying things that... They think it's funny. Uh, little Rubio, fat this, fat that. You know, all of his tweets where he uses... This is exactly what kids get bullied for, by the way. Being different in some way. And it could be a weight issue. It could be anything. You know, And so when he picks on someone for being short, that 12-year-old boy that killed himself in uh, Oklahoma, his father... Uh, is the very first guy you see in the film, right? Kirk Smalley. He's six foot five. Why was his kid bullied? Because he was short. That was the whole thing. He was short. And so guys were punching on him and throwing him into lockers and doing things because they could get away with it. And Kirk says to me, 
you know, give it a few years, he was going to shoot up. I'm 6'5", his mom is like 5'11", he's going to be tall. But at that time in seventh grade or whatever it was, that became the thing that they focused on. They saw him as a victim. So it could be race, ethnicity. Uh, of course, I put a lot in on LGBTQ because yeah. they're bullied at much higher rates than any other group, particularly trans kids. And, and we know that, but there's still very little protections in place around the country for these kids. I read an article a while ago that was written by a physician just kind of begging for some of these areas that the correlation between um, the suicide rate of LGBTQ and the laws in that society, there's a direct correlation. The more closed those laws are, the higher the suicide rate is of the youth. And well, something that you brought in was the science of this, just the way that the brain develops so that when a child um, is getting bullied, it is their entire world and they're not emotionally dealing with it in the same way an adult would. So I'm wondering if that also helps with maybe for parents on how to deal with soothing their child from bullying. Or, I mean, you know, how do they, how does a parent help a child when the child comes home and they've been teased about being short or something like that? And it's their whole world because of that's the way their brain develops. How does a parent pay attention to that? You know, there's two things that parents do wrong and then we can get to what they do right. Parents of my generation were sort of like, well, teach them a lesson, fight back. It was sort of like, you know, bully the bully and that'll teach him a lesson. Or it was what Trump said. If you remember, he's, he's, uh, being interviewed, he says, well, just get over it. You know, when you're a 12-year-old kid, just get over it is not getting, getting you nowhere. And if you're five foot and the kids around you are 5'10 beating on you, bully the bully isn't going to get you anywhere either. These things don't work. Uh, you're young. Your brain is still in development till you're about 23 years old, 24 years old. So if someone said something to me that was bullying, I, I just go, fuck you. I have no time for you. But little kids, it's their entire world. And if it's in front of their friends, where, you know, now they're being humiliated, and where do you turn? And if your parents are giving you advice like that, like, we'll just fight back, or just get over it. Now you feel you don't have an ally, you feel completely alone. All right, I got a question for you. I got a four year old, and I got a two year old, and the two year old likes to pull the four year old's hair. And, um, we're trying to get her to tell her to, st we're, we're trying, we're trying early. Like we're trying, like part of us wants us to say, you know, stand up for yourself or do something. And, you know, I, I'm not asking you necessarily for parenting advice, but, but the reality is there is this part of me that says, you know, she needs to do something or if she hits her brother, like we're trying to like stop this from the beginning. From any of your research, what should I, I know what I should not be doing. I should not be saying just get over it. And I shouldn't say, we'll do it back to him. What is it that I should be doing? You know, I have one son. He's now 24 years old. So when he was little and I was a single father, you know, I've done a lot of work in masculinity. And so it might be a little different with daughters. I'm not sure. But I began to spend a lot of time with him when he was watching media. And we would turn his TV shows and his games and stuff like that into opportunities to have conversations about it. So that by the time he's nine, I'd be making dinner and he'd say, dad, check this out. I go, what is it? It's a commercial for kids like Nickelodeon. You know, he goes, look at the way they're treating this girl here. Isn't that horrendous? This is my nine-year-old son telling me this. I'm like, it's shameful. It's incredible. So he's already starting to process the media he's consuming. Media literacy should be in every school in the world at the earliest ages. It's critical thinking applied to media. Kids aren't raised on toys like I was when I was a little kid. They're raised on games and media and the internet and all of that. And so that, that's a big part of where they're getting these ideas. You know, so much of, of celebrity culture is dissing each other and saying, you know, these really horrible digs at one another. And they start normalizing this as this is how you behave. I... I... I can't agree with you more. I mean, I hate to pat myself on the back, but I'm glad you brought up the whole reality TV stuff. I've hated reality TV. I've never watched reality TV. I will never watch reality TV. I will not let my children watch reality TV because I knew from the get-go that's a terrible rabbit hole that's going to bring uh, bring the downfall of the civilization. Lo and behold, somebody from reality TV is now leading our country, but I'm trying to keep politics out of this. I did write down while I was watching your film something along the lines about the media. And, and I'm wondering, 
you know, where are the celebrities? Where are the anti-bully celebrities? Where are the anti-bullying sports stars? Where are the anti-bullying coaches? Where, where is that message that's out there? And is it because those, you know, I hate to say it, is it because those people are successful because they had to bully their way into it? But I, I do want to see, because in this country, our children and even unfortunately a lot of adults worship celebrities, how can we get how can we use the power of celebrity in this country for the benefit of it i unfortunately think that some people just put celebrities into the liberal category let's just ignore whatever they're saying oh they're saying i shouldn't bully i'm going to go out and bully more but what are some ways that we can use media use celebrity towards this fight against uh bullying and towards the kindness movement. What would you recommend that we can start to do? What kind of pressure can we put on celebrities and media? Honestly, I think a lot of celebrities are more than happy and willing to get involved. I'll tell you why they didn't in my film, because I, I have pipelines to celebrities. And what I was hearing was they'd love to do it. But when you brought in this suicide aspect, they felt a little uncomfortable with that. That's just my film, though. So that aside, Everyone from Ellen DeGeneres to Terry Crews to um, LeBron James. And these are people that kids look up. I don't know about Ellen DeGeneres, but LeBron James and people like that. Find some music stars, I mean, of their generation. Find some athletes of their generation. They have credible voices to these kids in ways that I certainly do not. And I do think that, you know, I have never found anyone who said, I think bullying's good. We ought to, we ought to encourage it. They're right. into it. And most of them have kids too. They don't want their kids bullied or to be bullies. So I think it's going to take uh, what you're saying is to bring celebrities in who have a credible voice to this particular generation to talk about, you know, other ways to navigate our behaviors, learn to get along with one another and cooperate it just has to be a steady message from earliest ages. You walk into any kindergarten classroom and it says things like, you know, don't bully and don't be mean. You know, I, I shot that footage in, um, of that class at the end out toward Pasadena and they have a, the whole district there has undertaken this social and emotional learning. It starts in kindergarten. It goes all the way through sixth grade there. And so they actively bring it into the classroom. Now, if we could add to that conversation, these big celebrities, you know, the Ariana Grandes and all of this that really, you know, youth culture looks up to, I think they would do it. Celebrities all have management around them that are like they build a fortress around this person because they are worried about what project they're going to get into for their image. I get that. I get that. So there has to be some projects that the person says, oh, I think I would like to get involved with that. And suddenly it's a floodgate. You know, when James Carvel started that, when he's driving, doing the karaoke thing, have you ever heard him talk about this? He says, nobody wanted to do it. It sounded corny to everyone. And they said, no, forget it. And as soon as he got that first person to sign on, it was a huge hit, right? Now you're getting Paul McCartney and everyone else coming out of the woodwork that wants to do it. So it's sort of like finding a project, get a couple celebrities to say, we really want to push this anti-bullying. What happens? It, be, it opens a floodgate. Now everybody wants to jump on that and be part of this new movement. So I, I think it's very I think we can do that. I think there are lots of celebrities that would be happy to do that, but the vehicle has to be there that they believe in. So here's a way that we can help each other out. Since you do have this pipeline to celebrities, what you can do is once this show gets published, you can send them this podcast episode and say, hey, Pete, these podcasters are calling you out on good as in the details. You have to well listen done, to Rudy. this. Yeah, you're welcome. Well I'm, done, always, I'm always self-promoting. <laughs> and this way, this will help you. It'll help the film. It'll help everybody. What do you think? Good idea? <laughs> well, yeah. you know, I was going to tell you, so who was the the guy who was on the bus with uh, Trump when he did the whole grab him by the pussy thing? Bush right. something? Bush. What was his first name? Does anyone remember? I just wrote um, about him in my new book, but I can't think of his name. Have you read his New York, his, his op-ed piece that he put in the New York Times? So he ended up writing this whole, I mean, this would be near the celebrity thing, but he wrote this whole piece about this regret of being silent during that. Because it's not the, quite the same thing as bullying, but he did express, like, I am a father, I listened to this, no, I said nothing. But it does go to show that hierarchy of social status, it wasn't in his interest to interrupt Trump or anything like that. And 
but that's something I would recommend reading. If I could remember his name, something Bush. I'll look it up. I, I, I just referred to that in one of the chapters in my new book. And so I was just looking at his name, but I can't remember. That silence you're talking about, I have a whole chapter of my new book is called The Bro Code of Silence. And yeah. the, whole, the whole bystander sort of phenomena that people will, they don't want to get involved. They don't want to say something because uh, they could be the target. So lots of kids might see something happening and they won't say anything out of fear, understandably. They don't want to be the target. But when it's an adult and you have a talk show and someone says something like that, although he was goading that. And when I, when I listened to that whole video, he was being like a bro with Trump. Yeah in order to kind of pull these things out and he got what he wanted. So yeah. Okay. So he's he regrets it now. All right. Every man I know that is now part of the progressive men's movement, but wasn't one thing happened that changed them. One thing they had a daughter. That's what happens every single time when they're single is they're doing all these things and saying the stuff that's really inexcusable and irresponsible. And I'm not saying all men are like this. There are still some men who have kids and they're completely irresponsible. But they will have a child, particularly a daughter, and they'll start looking around and going, oh, is this the world I want them in? Now they're scared. I know musicians in huge bands, right? That are friends of mine go back years, and they were mocking some of my early work, right? We'd hang out and they'd be mocking. They all have kids now, and they're all like, how, do, how can I get involved? It's, it's self-interest. I don't know what it is about men. We socialize boys and men that if, it, if it's not about me, then I don't really care about that. And there's a lot of apathy. And this is the bystander that you're talking about. The silence where no one wants to say something and, and look weird or, or not look properly masculine to everyone. So I, yeah. I think the bullying and the masculinity thing go right together. Hand in well, hand. that's what I was thinking about was the bystander effect or, I mean, people not doing anything at the very beginning of the film when everyone's getting their their phones out to film it instead of doing something. But then I also, I it brought back a memory of when I was 12 years old, I witnessed um, somebody do something nasty. It was just, it was the two of us. It was a girl that I was with. She wrote something really nasty on another person's sidewalk. And I stood there and I remember thinking that's strange, but I didn't do anything. I didn't stop it from happening. And I was thinking about that of, like, what would I tell my 12-year-old self? Because then I think about this girl waking up the next day and having this nasty stuff written on her sidewalk, and I never, I didn't stop it. I was thinking about that. Also, I think the social media aspect, something that came through that's a difference in bullying now as opposed to before, is that there is no escape. So, you know, like, Rudy, if you and I had a crap day, like, we could go home, you can be with your family, or you can do whatever and be away from it. You don't have to worry about the bully. I can't imagine coming home and then checking your phone, or your Facebook, or Twitter, or Instagram, and it's still going on. There's no way away from it. So I'm wondering also how that impacts the bystander effect. This was an education, making this film was an education to me, because I didn't grow up with with that either you know if you had some bullying incident like you said you went home it's not something that kids are now looking at and they're commenting on it and so it's kind of growing and it's becoming even bigger and worse than it was i think there has to be some monitors over some of the social media i mean what i'm saying is i think the people that, that create these vehicles need to bear some responsibility for what's going on they need to be cognizant of what's happening on these and being able to shut some things down Suddenly there's this picture that's all over school with a bunch of horrible things they're saying about some, some young girl. I couldn't imagine what that must feel like for her. So who's, who's there in the tech part of this taking care of this and going, oh, we've got to shut this down right now. It's going to take a, an effort of lots of people, but you're right. Cyberbullying is, is sort of the new thing because kids feel safer at cyberbullying. Yeah. I got that statistic, but it's harder to confront someone physically than to sit back behind your computer and write a bunch of horrible things and let that go. So whatever that statistic was, like 85% of kids now bully online because they feel safer doing so. And so what kind of protections are in place to guard against that kind of bullying? 
I've told my students, I use Aristotle there and I say, you still are what you do. So if nobody knows that you wrote the crappy comments, you're still a terrible person for writing the crappy stuff. It doesn't matter if there's a witness or not. You have to live with the fact that you, that you did that. That is your personality if you're doing that. But I just back to the girls thing, this idea of the pictures of them, you know, where they're exposing themselves and they think that there's some sort of a like romantic relationship there or they don't think anything bad of it. It's reminding me, you know, Rudy, I was telling you this about, was, was it Katie Hill? Was that the name of the Congresswoman who um, she had to resign from her, yes. from 11 months, Katie yes. Hill. Yes. And it was because Tom, did you hear about this, about how her ex, like, was it an ex who had released a bunch of nude provocative photos of her photos that were taken without her permission. But I think something that killed me about that is just how the photo of a woman's body nudity is it works as a form of control. It works as a way to say, like, this is all you are. I think that that's particular to women as opposed to, as opposed to men, but that I just, yeah. I mean, a congresswoman resigned over it. Marsha Clark, midway through the OJ trial, her ex had posted or had sold photos of her topless, that it's a way to just say, to just a reduce a person and the fact that the woman's nude body is a matter of humiliation that that's oh, that's all it takes like that's it she's not to say anything or anything but just her nude is the humiliating factor why this is gendered is the two rules of bullying are this if you're a male what's the number one bully uh bully words or whatever they're going to come at you they're going to try to feminize you right it's going to be you're a this, you're a that. And we all know the slurs, right? If you are a girl, it's going to be that you're slutty. And so gender's all over this. Girls are told you have to be properly sexy but not slutty. Boys are taught you have to be properly masculine all the time and not showing any traits that could be interpreted as feminine. So much of the bullying is sort of couched in all of this, these gender norms that are being taught. And, and they still are being taught. There's nothing, this isn't old fashioned at all. There's these ideas of, of what normative masculinity and normative femininity are, are still entrenched in, in kids today. I wanted to ask, does that film 13 Reasons Why, has, have the producers or the writers of that had any kind of comment about people's response to this film? Yes. Or and it's they, a Netflix show, right? It's Netflix and they're, in, they're starting their third season they, they have made some changes, they claim, which are to start each uh, episode with a little discussion about bullying and all of that. And then there's a discussion afterwards as well. Now, is that helping? Is that doing the, the work? Probably not, to be honest. You know, kids are going to binge watch what they want to watch. And when it gets to the end, they probably just go to the next episode. But they're trying to be more responsible because they realize there was a tremendous backlash to the uh, first season of 13 Reasons Why. So uh, was it supposed to glamorize suicide? Is that the problem? I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not familiar with it. They wouldn't say that, right? <laughs> but, okay. But many critics said that's exactly what they did. It was based on a book. And when the teenage girl takes her life in the book, she uh, takes some pills and she ends her life. And in the uh, in 13 Reasons Why, it's a very graphic, bloody, horrible suicide in a bathtub. And so those who are in suicide prevention are, are, are like, you kidding me? Do you understand how? And, and they made this character, uh, I can't think of her name, the character, really cool, really likable, where, where a lot of young girls would look up to her. And yes, she's being bullied. She's sexually assaulted at one point. And she finally, you know, takes her own life. And the 13 reasons are the tapes that she makes that she gives to everybody after, after she has passed away that explain what they did to contribute to her. In other words, it's sort of like getting even from the grave. And since that show first season came out, there have been dozens of kids around America that have emulated her suicide with the tapes and everything. So with the tapes? You, they, oh my God! Tapes. They did everything, and now this, and Netflix is now have a number of lawsuits aimed at them because of the show. Again, they're still making a third season, but they've gotten away from that a little bit, and it's become a teen drama a little bit more. But it involved the possibility of a school shooting, things like that. So they're still trying to be very edgy 
with things that they think teenagers will care about. But the first season was the whole premise of the show is here's this really um, smart, cool young woman who takes her life as a result of being bullied and, and sexually bullied as well. And with, I don't think they would, anyone with the show would say this, but it did glamorize it. It did make it look like she had the last laugh. She, you know, she got even with them, you know, by, by doing this. And, you know, I, the first person I talked to before I started making this film was a group, a suicide organization in Minneapolis. I was on the phone for an hour with this group and we started to argue. He says, whatever you do in this film, don't glamorize it, don't exploit it, don't try to be gratuitous. And I said, well, of course not. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm making a documentary. I'm not making a, a narrative film. And so we're trying to educate and all of that. He says, well, any emotionality at all, because emotionality, it causes kids to take it up. And I said, well, how do we get more attention on this subject? Everyone in, in teen suicide tells me the same thing. Nobody wants to be involved. It's stigmatized. Corporations will cut checks if you're doing an anti-bullying rally or something like that. As soon as suicide comes in, they want nothing to do with it. Disney huh. was working with another filmmaker I know uh, that was doing a bullying. And when they even suggested, we're going to talk about self-harm and the consequences that can be suicide, Disney backed out. We didn't want anything to do with it anymore. So this is part of the problem when you're why is that? I don't think I understand. Why would a company not, why see, is that the deal breaker? They see it as very upsetting to people. When I was in Wisconsin showing my film, some people said this to me. This is a really upsetting film. You're touching some buttons here that really can be triggering to people. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's because I'm a documentary filmmaker. My job isn't to make you comfortable, you know, it's to make you uncomfortable so you can think critically about this and we might be able to create change, right? But in the broader world of corporate America where they're worried about, you know, profits and their image and all of that, if their company starts getting aligned with something like team suicide in their mind, it, it's, it's a very upsetting subject to be associated with and they want nothing to do with it. I'm fearful about, I mean, and, you know, just a couple of days ago, you saw that in, uh, in uh, one of the leading ER doctors in New York City kills herself over, um, over just the, the hell that is COVID-19 that has caused uh, her to, to do such a terrible thing. I do fear that in this new world that we're uh, going into, if we're going to be having rolling quarantines and, and, you know, such a, such an upheaval to our way of life. I fear suicides are going to spike and I'm pretty sure there's evidence out there that that is starting to happen both with the young children and with adults. Companies and corporations do need to get behind the suicide mission because I think that's going to be, it already was one of the leading causes of death previously. I think it even brought down the, um, the, the how the longevity of human beings. And if for some reason in the last two years, this is going to sound crazy. I've, not me personally, but I'm like one person removed from like, I don't know, 10 to 15 to 20 people that killed themselves um, uh, or know somebody that committed suicide. And so suicide is extremely upsetting for me uh, for a lot of reasons. And to hear what you're saying about uh, once, once these companies or these celebrities here, it has, it, there's an anti-suicide message or that we talk about suicide, they get spooked. The only thing that could come to mind that could explain that is because of the backlash to 13 reasons why is the, do you think that's one of the reasons why they want to stay away from it i think that mental health issues in general have been stigmatized for a long long time there's still sort of the stigma that there's something wrong with you and so people will keep mental health as sort of at arm's length in terms of conversations whether it's depression or bipolarism or whatever now i should say this since this is going out people are going to be hearing this all over the place we can't say bullying causes suicide. It's, it's, a strong, it's too strong a statement to make. That would mean that in the presence, causation versus correlation, I teach in critical thinking. Causation means in the presence of factor A, factor B occurs, right? And so a kid getting bullied doesn't mean they're going to go kill themselves or, or necessarily even self-harm or anything like that. I need to tell audience members that the majority of kids that go to these extremes have pre-existing mental health yeah. issues. A lot of them do. 
so what bullying is, is gasoline on an already existing fire for a lot of these kids. But let's be real. I mean, the mental health issue is a huge problem. Millions of people suffer. I suffer from clinical depression. So we have to get rid of that stigma around that so we can have open conversations about mental health and how to improve mental health in the schools. I mean, Trump, I'm so sorry to keep bringing up this asshole, but he wants us to have guns in the schools. I want us to have mental health counselors in the schools. If you want you know, people to get healthy, we have to be teaching about how to be healthy and not just more dysfunction. So suicide is linked to mental health in the vast majority of cases. It's not simply circumstantial for the vast majority. But that means millions of kids who are at risk. A little episode could set them off. Right. I talked to, to family members where I tried to understand, so what happened? Sometimes it was unbelievably horrible. Other times it wasn't. It was sort of like small things. But when you have a, you know, you have a condition, the small things become large things. And, and they weren't able to cope with that. So we have to talk about bringing in mental health conversations and experts into our schools, working with kids from the earliest ages. Well, I like the fact that you had this solution that you're like, yeah. no, no, guns, guns in the schools is not a solution. Here's where we should be putting our money. It's in mental health. It's in, and we should have this from the beginning. I love that. How could a company or celebrity not get behind that? That's shocking to me. It's I think, a- did you see the documentary, I Love You Now Die? That was also in Netflix. I've been ha- watching a lot of happier, funnier stuff okay, lately, yeah, but no. I promise once COVID-19 <laughs> is over, I will go down, I'll go down the depressing rabbit hole. I promise well, you, but no, I haven't seen that. I love you now die is it's, it's a two parter and it's, it's rough. It's rough to watch, but it is about, uh, I think a 17 or an 18 year old kid who he committed suicide. And when the police officers found him and they found his phone, they found so many texts from a girl who was encouraging him to do this. And then she was put on trial. And the question was, was she the causal factor for his suicide? And it was, you know, Netflix was showing the the back and forth, the arguments, like that can't really kill somebody, but it was the fact that he had clinical depression and she's adding to that, that it was the combination of those things. And the judge did find that she was the causal factor. If those he may have committed suicide at some other time, but at the time that he did, he probably would not have done that had he not been getting texts from her encouraging him to go through with this. And the other interesting thing is that it was all by text, so she wasn't physically present. That was the first time someone had been convicted of encouraging someone to commit suicide, and she did go to prison briefly um, okay. as a result. It was challenged like how can you say that someone caused their death through text messaging or something like that? But again, we're talking about the vulnerabilities of certain groups of people, the things that the vast majority of us wouldn't, wouldn't respond to are, are devastating to them. And the mental health problems we're talking about are pandemic. This isn't just a small group. This is a huge, millions of people have a host of different mental health conditions underlying. And when you're a kid, compound that with your brain development, you know, it's a real ticking time bomb for a lot of kids. I have to tell you too, some parents did not see this coming at all when I interviewed them. Uh, They would say things like, you know, my child was just the very picture of happiness and joy and and lots of friends and was popular and this just happened and nobody saw it coming. So there's that. I have talked to professionals about this, and I always throw that up, and then they go, well, I would have liked to have time to, to see it in person because there's a good chance there was an underlying condition. They are sold, the vast majority of experts are sold, that there is some underlying condition, and it wouldn't be a bullying episode led to a suicide without the pre-existing condition. That's their rep. They can't prove that, right? Yeah. That's a hawk. What is a hope that you have about this film? I think my biggest hope is that it can be part of a national discussion on changing the curricula of our K through 12 schools in America. And that we start ushering in social emotional learning. We start taking mental health in schools seriously. We already know this works. It's not guesswork anymore. The Cleveland district schools started this, I wanna say like 2007, 2008. So they've had a good, you know, 12 years of this under their belts, and they've witnessed a 36% drop in bullying incidences. 
in places like Finland, Jana Yovonen from UCLA is in the film, and she was the one who helped spearhead the Kiva program in Finland. Same thing, only they had even more drastic results. It was, a, it was like two-thirds of bullying dropped in Finland after they started working these through five or six years. So we have longitudinal empirical data that proves these things work, and it raises scores, and it raises graduation rates, all the things that people want. It really is a win-win. And so we have to, I hope, this film, along with many others that are out there, can be part of that national discussion. Yeah, it seems like the efforts to not create the bully, that that's where it should be instead of after the bully, punishment after the bullying. Just don't create the bully in the first place. Punishing them doesn't work. It doesn't reduce rates of bullying. Kicking them out of school doesn't work. In fact, think about it. You kick them out of school, then what? What, they're going to be suddenly better people? No. You know, so none of that works. But we know what does work. And I told, when I was making this film, I said to everybody, I will not make a film. There are other films about bullying, by the way, documentaries. I watched them. And I'll be very candid. Almost all of them were crap. I, I watched them. And, you know, what am I supposed to take away from this? They were just kind of fests of watching horrible things. And then it ends. And you're sitting there feeling terrible and thinking, so what did I learn there? You know? So I set out when I made this film, I go, that is not how this film is going to end. We're going to, we're going to end with hope and we're going to end with research that can prove what we can do to turn this stuff around. I wouldn't have made this film otherwise. It had to have that ending. I got to say um, what you did put forth and what you just said about what you hope with this film I think it's achievable. I think that this film and and the change of curriculum and the fact that we do need to start taking mental health and emotional intelligence and emotional and social learning at a very early age is something that we can achieve. And that's an amazing thing. I mean, when you do, I'm going to make a documentary about bullying and it's going to touch upon suicide and hopefully it'll change things. No, that's not going to do anything. But the fact that you actually ended it with, well, here's an example of changing things uh, in a very specific environment during very specific ages is like, oh, okay, like this, we, we can make a change. I feel more hopeful, right? I, a part of during this podcast, I was like, I don't really have any hope because of our administration and everything in this country and everything. But because of your movie, because you have something tangible to say, no, nah, this is actually how we can approach it. I'm very hopeful. So thank you for giving me hope. Well, thanks. I mean, I'm an activist. And I think all my activist friends who hear this are going to agree with what I'm about to say. You cannot be an activist and be pessimistic. That's a contradiction. You have to be optimistic or you stop being an activist. Oh, I love it. Okay. Well, thank you, Tom. Thank Good luck you. with your film. Yeah, well, thanks. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, I'll let you know how the new one goes along. It's going to probably be done at the end of the year. When is Bullied available for everyone? It looks like, realistically, the end of summer, early fall is when it's going to be in wide release. Okay. Both in the, hopefully, the MEF catalog, but I just signed a contract with a company here in LA that they're going to be putting it on, you know, like Amazon Prime and these other places so people can just go and watch it from their computers and all of that. So, congrats. That's awesome, man. Congrats. And then the next film you said, is it, what is it like to be a problem? Is that, how does it feel to be a problem? How does it feel to be a problem? quote made famous by W.E.B. Du Bois, the first black man to graduate from Harvard University. So it's on othering, which, you know, bullying comes into this as well, but I really go all over the place with this one. Uh, Danny Glover's in this film, Ed Asner's in this film, the great Jackson Katz is in this film, and we're taking on just how othering is such a, a huge part of not just American culture, but world culture. And the same thing, I'm going to take on ideas of, of turning it around, or I wouldn't, again, make it. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, Let me Tom. Have a good afternoon. I, I want to get this out, too, so people can, can hear it. Hey, I will let you know. Don't you worry. Yeah, don't worry. We I love can text. I can email. I can send it through Facebook. You will have it. You definitely will. You'll be, you'll be sick of see, seeing this from us. <laughs> okay, Tom. Have a good afternoon. Thank you, Gwen. Rudy. Take care, Tom. Bye, Gwen. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you would like to learn more about Tom's work, you can go to tomkeith.com. And again, if you have any thoughts about this episode, any questions for Rudy or for me, please email at goodisinthedetailspod at gmail.com. You can tweet me at gdolsky. And we're also on Instagram, goodisinthedetailspod. Oh, and there's a Facebook page too. Like it. Okay. Now, stay safe. Wash your hands and stop hoarding the toilet paper. Bye.